Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Good morning. Welcome to Northgate. My name is Brian Logue. I'm the pastor of worship here. If you're our first-time guest, why don't you open up your program on the inside. There's what's called a communication card. Just pencil in your information. I know you know all the answers. So you can just go ahead and write those in. Uh, drop it in the boxes in the back. We promise we're not going to spam you, but we do want to get a chance to know you better. Um, a few things are changing around here at Northgate. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Change is Good. And last week we started out by talking about changing the way we connect with God and worship. This morning we'll continue as we talk about changing the way we care for each other. And uh, we wanted to let you know that, that not only uh, are we talking about change this month, but, you know, change is a continual part of what Northgate's all about. Um, we're changing a bunch of stuff. We're always trying to grow and improve. As a matter of fact, you may notice we don't do the uh, stand up and shake hands thing at the beginning of the service anymore. That's one of the things we've changed. A lot of people said that they don't like it. It's a little uncomfortable. So we figured, hey, if you can't beat them, outsmart them. So, <laughs> so we moved it to the very end. At the very end of the service, you'll be invited to stand up, shake somebody's hand, get to know them a little bit better, and, and hang out for a few minutes and talk to them. Another thing we've changed is we don't do announcements anymore at the beginning of the service. Like right now, I would be telling you about all the fun things that are com coming up here in Northgate, but instead, uh, that was kind of boring. It was like a commercial break. We decided we don't want to do that anymore. Um, right now, you can go to the website if you have your mobile phone or if you're on the computer. You can go to the website, check everything out. That's where all the information is now. So we don't do announcements anymore. It's a few of the things we're changing around here. We want to start our services with something fun, something meaningful, something exciting. Last week, we, we had a little bit of fun talking about change. This week, we wanted to have a little bit of fun talking about how Northgate is always changing. So what we decided to do was dig back into the archives, dust off a few old pictures, put together a slideshow for you. That's right. Be scared. Be afraid. <laughs> we put together a slideshow for you to talk about how change is a part of what Northgate is. It's what we're always doing. This church has never really settled into one way of doing things. We're always moving forward. So, I'm going to take you back in time right now. 18 years ago, a mustachioed man with a mullet named Ken Jensen. <laughs> man named Ken Jensen moved out here from San Francisco to plant a church. They started in their living room with a core group of a few people. These are pictures from the very first worship service at Northgate back in 1990. Um, and after a few months there, they procured a lease in the old post office downtown Benicia, and started meeting there. So here's a picture of their first worship service at the post office. I promise it's not the G8 convention. I've never seen so many neckties in one room in my life. First worship services, a lot different. Things have changed, huh? After a couple of years there, they outgrew that space and moved right up the road here uh, to a warehouse off of Egret Court. Some of you might remember that, Northgate Christian Fellowship there. And in their early worship service, you'll see things that they look pretty different. They had a choir to start with. Um, they brought in some people to uh, lead worship. There's Ido from years back. Um, another guy next slide is Alex. And then things got really cool with this next guy, Brian. <laughs> thank you, thank you. More, more. And then, but as, as all of that change was taking place, um, we were also preparing for a really big change. Here's a picture from 2002, the first meeting we had up here on the hill. We, we were signing the deed to the land. There's a picture of Ken, and he's, he's, he's got a plaque that he's screwing into a piece of concrete, and that plaque says uh, the day that they signed the deed in 
2002. Pretty exciting, so already preparing for change. And then this next slide was when we snuck up here before things were done. We had a preview service. As you can see, Ken had moved into the Hawaiian shirt phase. At this point, no more neckties. Um, and then the next slide is our very first Sunday up here. Some of you were here two years ago in November we moved up here. So Northgate has always been changing, always moving forward, and always trying new things. So tell us a little bit more about some more of the changes that are taking place and some of the fun that we're having. Here's Ken, looking stylish, by the way. I just want everybody to know that mullets were in style in the 90s, okay? I don't have it. In fact, actually, I had a lot more hair back then. Um, but we are excited about the changes that are going on here. A lot of really, really cool things. Um, Brian mentioned last week we talked about changing the way that we connect with God and deepening our, our worship time. And part of that was getting here on time. And I just want you to know, at first service this morning, we actually had a group that were tailgating out here in the parking lot. They were taking this very, very seriously. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, but there's a lot of really exciting things as we grow, as we change, um, as we become more and more the people that God wants us to be, because that's really what it's all about. Um, God is in the process of transforming lives, and we want to be a part of that too. So um, if you're here as a guest, we're glad that you're here with us. Hopefully, you'll experience some change this morning. And if you're a long-time Northgater, um, brace yourselves, because uh, things are changing, and God's working, and we're excited about that. So why don't we stand back up, and let's continue our worship. Well, we're talking about change. And so this morning, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to think about one person who greatly influenced your journey of faith. And you may be a longtime Christ follower. You may be here this morning, and you're just kind of investigating and trying to check it out. But there's probably somebody that's had an influence on you and on this journey of faith that you've been on. So I'd like you to think about that one person for a moment. And maybe there's a number of them, but just pick one. And what I'd like you to do is just turn to the person next to you and tell them, now I know, I know some of you can say, oh, that's way too touchy-feely for me, you know. And some of you won't want to do this, and I understand that because, you know, I'm kind of one of those kind of people, if somebody tells me to do something, I just won't do it just on principle. But <laughs> humor me this morning, if you would, please, and just turn to the person next to you and just tell them about the one person, you know, don't tell the whole story, okay, just very briefly, the one person that maybe had the greatest impact on your, on your spiritual journey. And I'll tell you one of them for me. It was my youth pastor. His name was Dennis Sawyer. And he had a way of explaining this relationship with God that just made me want to have it and transform my life. He's the first person I ever knew that actually moved from the secular world into pastoral ministry. And, um, and he was the first one that ever encouraged me to consider that and to pursue that. So that's my story. Turn to the person next to you, all right? In just a minute or so, just tell one person and, and what they did that influenced you, okay? Do it now. Go ahead. Come on, come on, come on. Get with the program. Turn around. Okay, now it's the other person's turn. All right. That wasn't so bad. Yeah, you survived that. Okay, that's good, good. I did that this morning because I want to make a point. And the point is this. God uses people to grow our faith. 
God uses relationships to grow our faith. And you all have stories about that. And when we do our baptisms, which, by the way, next Sunday night, we've got a baptism, 5 o'clock. Very cool stuff. But every time we do a baptism and people tell their story, they always mention one person or two people that influenced their life, that brought them along on this journey of faith. Because that's how God does it. He does it through other people. This month, we're looking at change and and changing as a church. How can we do better? How can we do better at, at helping people who are maybe even far from God enter into this relationship and, and become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And, and that's what we're looking at for this next month. How can we do that? How can we help people become wholehearted followers of Jesus? And, and the best description, the best example that I've ever found in Scripture about what that looks like is in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. We started last week looking at it. Look at it with me again, if you would, please. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Luke writes this, he says, These people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done among the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And if you want to flip over a couple of chapters, a couple of pages, chapter 4, verse 32. This is the ongoing description of that same group of people. Verse 32, chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one, no one claimed any of his possessions was his own. They shared everything they had. And with great power, The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was on them all. For there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he has had need. That, to me, is a description of of a church of wholehearted followers. That's my heartbeat for Northgate that we would be that kind of church, driven by the things that drove them, giving ourselves to the things that they gave themselves to. And this is what they did. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to a deeper connection with God. They devoted themselves to caring for each other. They devoted themselves by serving together. They devoted themselves to sharing this message that had changed their lives. And that's a description of the discipleship process. That's what Jesus told his followers to do. Go reproduce this kind of lifestyle. And here at Northgate, we've been trying to simplify that and clarify that as much as we can for people. The discipleship process is connecting with God and then caring for each other and then serving together and then sharing this message that has changed our lives. And that is an ongoing process. At every level, we continue to grow in every one of these areas, continually growing in our connection with God, continually growing in our ability to care for one another, continually growing in our ministry and in our service to each other, continually growing in our ability to share this message that has changed our lives. And last week, we talked about connecting with God, the importance of worship and regular worship and being together and singing together and learning together. And this week, we're going to talk about caring. How can we do better as a church in this aspect of discipleship? How can we better care for each other? And the answer to that, I think, is found in these passages. That we deepen, 
we deepen our caring and our relationships through community. That's really what's being described there. A biblically functioning community of believers. And that's the answer. How do we better care for one another? By giving ourselves to community. Biblically functioning community. Because in community, we devote ourselves to each other. That, that's the hallmark of everything. Like, like we said, talked about last week with worship, there has to be an intentional decision about this, that we devote ourselves to this, that we give ourselves to this. That's what verse 42 says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They gave themselves. This was a priority for them. It was important enough that they carved out time to make it happen. Now, here's the deal. In our society, in our culture right now, we live in maybe one of the most individualistic, fiercely individualistic societies that I know. United States of America, we celebrate and we cheer that rugged individualist. You know, that's what made our country great. You know, we, we cheer for the people who pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, whatever that means. I don't know. I don't ever had a boot with a strap. I don't know. But, but that's what we celebrate. That's what we cheer. And, and really, if you think about it, San Francisco Bay Area we are the most non-conformist society in the whole nation. <laughs> Where else but in the San Francisco Bay Area do people spend two years in a tree? <laughs> For nothing. That's the Bay Area. That's where we live, folks. Bunch of leftover hippies. <laughs> and such were some of you. <laughs> I know that because when I asked you to share with the person next to you, you refused to do it. Gotcha. We celebrate our individuality. We celebrate we don't have to rely on anyone. We make it ourselves in this world. But that is not God's plan. God's plan for discipleship is not independent study. His plan for discipleship is community. Notice this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Those two are linked together. They devoted themselves to teaching and to fellowship. Because integral to their learning was their relationship with one another. Because learning is not just filling your brain with facts and information. Learning is taking what you know, practicing it. And I think those two are linked together, not by accident. Because God's plan has always been community. They gave themselves to the fellowship. Now that is a word... That is a word that has been bandied about so much and so misunderstood and it's gone from anywhere from you know, having coffee together to you know, whatever. Fellowship has this idea of doing life together. To laugh and to cry together. To encourage and challenge each other. To give and to receive from each other. That's fellowship. That's community. And that has always been God's plan. And that happens, that happens in a smaller group of people. You can't really do community with large crowds. You do community in smaller groups. I mean, think about this. The very first day, the birth of the church happened. 3,000, three, over 3,000 new believers in one day. How in the world do you handle 3,000 people at once? How do you do that? There's no building big enough to hold 3,000 people. How did they do it? They continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes. That's how you do it. Large gathering, small group. 
Large gathering, small group. Large gathering, small group. You need both. In fact, if you look through the, the book of Acts and look through the whole New Testament, how many times there is mention of a home or a house. The church in Cornelius' home. The, the church in Lydia's home. You know, Stephanus. Oh, there's all kinds of homes mentioned. Because that's how it happened. And you know where they got that model? You know where they got that model? From Jesus. That's what Jesus did. Mark 3 says that he appointed 12, designating them apostles, that he might be with them and that, they, that he might send them out. Bring them together, be with them, send them out. Bring them together, be with them, send them out. It's Jesus' plan. John Orper calls it the be with plan. <laughs> and that's what it is. That's exactly what Jesus did. And the beauty of it, the beauty of that is he set that model in motion for them so that when on one day they had 3,000 people and they tried to figure out what are we going to do, let's do what Jesus did. Let's break up into small groups. Let's study together. Let's learn together. Let's grow together. That's what they did. And they got the model from Jesus. That is the beauty of it. It is reproducible. It, it was reproduced in every city that Paul went to, every city that Peter went to. They started in a home. They built a small group. The church grew, and they continued to meet together in homes. That's the model. It's reproducible. It's scalable. It doesn't matter how many people you have because you can always break it down into a smaller group. That's Jesus' plan. Small groups is not optional to discipleship, folks. It isn't. The biblical pattern is doing community together in that smaller group. And we need to rethink the church and get people out of rows and into circles because that's where discipleship happens. That's where community happens. That's where caring happens. Second aspect to community is that in community, we can become real with each other. Acts 2, 46 says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Talked about this a couple of months ago. That word sincere, it has to do, it, comes, it actually means literally in the Latin, without wax. And it had to do with um, stone workers and, and, and sculptors who would, who would you know, make a figurine or something and sell it. But if there was a flaw, if there was a flaw, they would fill it in with wax. And they could do it and polish it up so well that you couldn't even see the wax. It looked like a beautiful, you know, beautiful piece of work. And to buy something that was guaranteed to be sincere meant no cover-ups, no filler, no hidden surprises, no hiding. And that word is used to describe this gathering of people. Glad and sincere hearts. In other words, the masks come off. We let down our guard. We quit hiding. We begin to share life together. goes on in chapter 4 to say God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that all that in them all that there were no needy persons among them now how do you think that happened how do you think that happened because they were in groups of people that they could see a need they were in a small enough group with other people that they could see this person needs some help here this person we need to help take care of 3,000 people you get lost in a crowd a group of 12, 15, 10, 
You know what's going on in each other's lives. Now, that's scary stuff. That's really scary stuff. But here's the deal. There is something about that. There is something about gathering together in Jesus' name that transforms lives. Jesus said, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Now, he's with every one of us. If we've asked him into our hearts, if we've given him our lives, he is with us. But there is something about gathering together in that small group, even two or three. There is a dynamic there that happens that doesn't happen by ourselves. And the best way I can describe this is, um, actually, a couple years ago. A couple years ago for Father's Day, my kids gave me a gas grill. I mean, this thing is really, really cool. It's like a six burner with a little side burner, you know, and everything. And it's, got, it's you know, cro- um, uh, brushed steel. And it's just very, very, very cool. The reason they bought that for me is because our old barbecue was like falling apart. And, and before I had a gas grill, I had just one of these old barbecues. And you, put the, you pile up the coals. Some of you still do this. You pile up all the coals and you just drench it with, you know, lighter fluid. And then you stand back and you throw a match. And, and what happens is when those coals are all bunched together, they burn brighter. And the heat that's generated, and it begins to spread among all of them. And then you lay them out so it get even grilling. And that's what happens. It's kind of like we're these little charcoals, you know? And while we're out by ourselves, we're not going to burn very bright. We're not going to burn very hot. But when we come together, we come together in a smaller group, and we cluster together, and we do life together, something happens. Spirit of acceptance. Grace flows freely. Our hearts are ignited. We're put on fire. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. Now, again, to accomplish that level of friendship and relationship, you can only do that with a few people. You can't do that with hundreds of thousands. You can only do it with a few people because it requires a great deal of trust. A couple weeks ago, we kind of had some fun. We did a survey Um, instant survey and got responses back. Um, And some of the questions that we asked, we asked people, in terms of your feeling a part of the Northgate family, would you say you are, you know, and we asked a couple of different, am I facing the crowd? I got a few acquaintances. I've got some really close friends. I got a group of people I can count on. And out of that survey, almost 60% of you responded saying either I'm a face in the crowd or I just have a few acquaintances. And then we ask another question. In terms of small group involvement, have you, are you currently in a group, been in a group, but not now, never been a part of the group, don't see any need for a group? And out of that, 78% of our church family says, I'm not even in a group. Those two are connected. Those two are connected. And this needs to change. Because if we as a church are going to continue to grow and extend the grace of God to people, there's got to be a care system put in place. And years ago, years ago, we had something called One in Heart. And it was if you had a need, you called the church office and there was a group of people who were willing to help out, whatever it was, give people a ride to the hospital or, or, or provide meals or if someone was sick or something like that. And, and we used to be able to do it. When we were one, two, three hundred people, even up to four hundred people, we could do that. Call the church office because there weren't that many people that needed it, and we got a few people that could help, and so they weren't overtaxed. We can't do that anymore. We are to a size and a place where we can't care for each other out of a central office. And the caring relationships need to be developed in the community of believers. 
And you need to be a part of a small group. It's something that needs to change, and we are committed to changing. In your bulletin, there's an insert. Okay? Pull it out. Everybody pull. Come on, don't be that nonconformist again, okay? And don't just rattle your paper like you're pretending like you're pulling it out, okay? Really pull it out. One of the things that we are doing this fall, and it's a pilot program, because we're going to do something a little bit different with our small groups. We're calling them community groups. And it's the direction that we're heading actually down the road with all of our groups. But this is just kind of a pilot program. And the idea is if you are not a part of a small group right now, the first 30 people, 32 maybe, we'll stretch it, who sign up and get this in, we're going to have in two weeks on the 28th in the evening a community link up. And it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a little bit to eat, share together, get to know each other, all kinds of fun. And we're going to help you get into a couple of these community groups. And then you're going to make an eight-week commitment to be a part of that group. That's all, just eight weeks. Say, I'll give it a try. I'll give it a test drive. Now, if after the eight weeks, you don't feel connected with those people, you know, we'll give you another chance with another eight people. Eventually, you're going to find eight people that you can get along with. Okay? This is just a pilot program. But our goal is that we want to continue this and expand this and come first of the year. That's the way we do small groups. And yes, study and prayer are going to be key elements in it, but the goal is the goal is to build relationships where we can care for and grow together with each other. And so I want to encourage you, if you are not a part of a, if you're in a small group, make room for somebody else, okay? But if you are not in a small group, get involved and fill this out and say, I'm interested. I'm willing to give it a try. I'll give it eight weeks. I can handle that. And just get involved because that's where it happens. Now, understand, we know you can't force community. We know that. Yet we know you can't stick 12 people in a room, lock the door, and not let them out until they all become best friends. We know that won't work, okay? That won't work. But what we can do is provide an opportunity and an environment for people to build relationships and develop community. We can't force it, but we can provide it. And that's what we're trying to do. So I would encourage you, if you are not a part of a small group, fill this out. Drop it in one of the offering boxes, and we'll help you get involved with a group of people that you can get along with. Now, in that, by the way, we're going to do our best to help you connect with people that are like you. So, you know, we've asked you a few questions. What night of the week is best for you to meet on? Um, where's your, what's your station in life? Are you married, single? You know, what's your age? Um, you know, and then we asked you on the bottom, rank them in importance. If you're like, I, you know, I don't want to be with other 20-somethings, okay? They annoy me. I want to be with older people like you. Um, you know, then that's bottom of your priority list. If the mo- most priority thing is I got one night a week, I can do it Wednesday night, and that's only I can do it, so that's your top priority, we'll help you with that, okay? We're going to do everything we can to help you get linked up with other believers in this new, new venture. But please, give it some thought. Give it a commitment. Give it eight weeks and test drive it. Because community, community is where we learn to care for and become real with each other. Now that does take time. But over eight weeks, you'll get a sense of it, hopefully. Another aspect of community is, in community, we speak truthfully with each other. We learn to tell each other the truth. It says all the believers were one in heart and mind. Now don't get a romanticized idea about this, okay? These were real people with real personalities, with real shortcomings and quirks and real flaws, okay? These weren't perfect people. They weren't. 
And, and we read this, they were one in heart and mind. And that just sounds so wonderful. You know, oh, yes, they just loved each other naturally. Never had a problem, never had a conflict. Because you hear the word one in heart, and that just sounds like such a strong emotional bond and attachment. That was not how it was understood 2,000 years ago. To be one in heart, the heart is considered the, act, the place of the will. The heart was considered to be the place of decisive action. They made a choice to be together. They made the choice to be together. And they also had to deal with conflict. In fact, you just go a couple chapters over, chapter 6. In chapter 6, a big brouhaha comes out because they're doing really good at sharing with one another, but some people are getting bigger portions than others, and this is upsetting people, and all of a sudden they got a conflict. Not but two chapters later. These were real people. They had conflict. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, almost every book of the New Testament is a letter. And almost every one of those letters, the Apostle Paul or Peter or one of the writers is writing to a church telling them to correct something or deal with some issue or having to to fix some kind of problem that's going on in the church. They had conflict. The truth is community is something you have to work at. It will not be easy. But you decide to hang tough. You decide to not give up. Again, look at Jesus' model. Jesus handpicked 12. He did not pick them because they were naturally compatible with each other. They weren't. He picked a guy named Simon, who was a zealot. Now, if you don't know what the zealots are, these were the guys that, like, they were the strictest. They were, they were, rebel, they were rebels. They were rebels against, um, against the Roman government. They wanted the, the Romans kicked out. They didn't want them overseeing them. These were like the people that they hated the most. The, the zealots hated the Roman rule. And right next to Simon is a guy named Matthew who is a tax collector. Now, nobody likes tax collectors, okay? But especially zealots because the tax collector represents the Roman rule. He's the guy that collects the money that goes to Rome. And Jesus picked these two guys together. He picked a guy named Thomas who did nothing but question and doubt all along the way. He picked a guy named Peter who left no thought unspoken. (laughs) He picked two brothers named James and John. You know what their nicknames were? The Thunder Boys. That'll tell you something. These were not guys that naturally got along. And neither did the early church. And neither will you. In every group, in every group, there will be those people that Rick Warren describes as EGRs, extra grace required, okay? <laughs> now, if you're in a small group and you don't have one of those people, call the church office. We'll give you one because we got a file kept on them all. <laughs> I'm kidding. If you're in a group and it doesn't have one and you don't think you got a problem in a group, maybe it's you. <laughs> Just a thought. Here's the deal. Whenever you get a group of imperfect, flawed people together, you're going to have problems. The decision was to hang in there, to hang with each other and not give up. Not give up on community. To make it work even if it kills us. Because we're committed to each other. Because that's what Jesus called us to do. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen in any small group. People are going to get hurt feelings. And this happens all the time. Somebody gets their feelings hurt. And when your feelings get hurt, the first thing you do is you put up your defenses. And then you start to make your case. 
And you start telling all these other people about how this other person hurt you. And you try to get... And it's, it's human nature, and you've got to work against that. It's not that the conflict doesn't happen in a small group. There will be conflict, but it's in there, in that small group, that you determine to resolve and to forgive and to reconcile and to make right. And that's what Paul was writing about to the Ephesian church. Speaking the truth with love, we will grow up in every way into Christ. We'll be honest with each other. And we'll take our disagreements to each other. And we'll work them out. And where I've been wrong, I'll ask forgiveness. And where you've been wrong, I'll offer it freely to you, whether you ask for it or not. Because that's what happens in community. Biblically functioning community is a place where we can speak truthfully with each other. Now, I know some of you are asking, okay, well, if it's that difficult, and it's that much work, and it's that hard, why do we bother? Why bother with that? I just assume beyond my own and not have to deal with these people. <laughs> Why do we bother with it? Because, because in community, in community, we learn to love like Jesus loved. In community, we learn to love like Jesus did. And when it's done right, and when we learn how, there is nothing like it. There is nothing like it. Though they're imperfect people, they modeled a self-giving love that they saw in Jesus. Philippians 2 tells us that he didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to or grasped at, but he made himself nothing. He gave up divine privilege so he could reconcile this world to himself, so he could reconcile you to himself. And that is the essence of love. It is self-giving, self-sacrificing. It's putting somebody else in front of myself. That's the essence of it. And it's the foundation of community. There's an old saying. It's an old saying. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And I think that's why one of the hallmarks of this early church was their spirit of generosity. And Luke, as he writes this history in the book of Acts, he just keeps coming back to it over and over and over again. Acts 2.45, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Chapter 4, verse 32, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. Verse 34, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. No strings attached. No, you're going to do it my way if you want this money. It's a spirit of generosity and giving. And they learned that. They learned that in community. They took responsibility and they cared for each other. They did not wait for the pastor to come make the visit. They didn't sit around whining and complaining because how come the pastor doesn't care about me? They cared for each other. They cared for each other. That's the biblical pattern. That's what God has called each and every one of us to. And this, all these times, people say things like, well, no, somebody ought to do something about that. And somebody usually means the pastor. <laughs> if somebody ought to do something about it, maybe it's you. Because they cared for each other. They got involved in each other's lives. They knew the needs that were going on. And they took care of them together. 
Do you know that the average person can have about 65 face-to-face relationships, really knowing somebody to any degree? 65. If they are good, if they are really, really good and work hard at it, they can get the number maybe up to 80, maybe pushing it to 85. But that's about all the human relationships that any individual is capable of, of carrying on at any one time. Do you know what the average size of the church in America is? 89. Because everybody's waiting for the pastor to do it. And he can barely do it with 80. For a church to grow, for a church to expand the kingdom of God, for a church to care for one another the way God called us to care for one another, you don't wait for somebody else. You take the initiative. Love takes the initiative. And we can change this, folks. We can change the way we care for each other. We can do this. We can change how we grow. We can change how we care. But you can't leave it up to the hired professionals. Because frankly, we don't have the budget to hire that many people. (laughs) But we can do it by caring for each other and getting involved in each other's lives and linking up in a small group where we can know and be known, love and be loved, accept and be accepted, care for and be cared for by each other. If we're going to love like Jesus, then it's up to each and every one of us to take that initiative ourselves. It happens on a grassroots level a decision in each and every one of our hearts. Jesus' final conversation with his disciples before he was arrested and put to death, these are some of the last words he gave with them. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's how he begins this conversation. And he ends the conversation, so this is my command, love each other. So if you get nothing else out of this morning's message, just take home the words of Jesus. Love each other. Love each other. It's really that simple. That's his plan. That was Jesus' plan. This church started with no buildings, no resources, no funds, no nothing. All they had was each other. And Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? There's just 12 of us. All nations? Come on. Are you kidding me? We can't even reach Jerusalem. There's thousands of people here. There's only 12 of us. How are we going to do that? Love each other. As I have loved you, Love each other. That's the plan. The be with plan. Go with and be with and share with and live with and care for. That's the plan. And it's the only plan. There's no plan B. This is it. And it's God's desire. And it's Jesus' plan. And it was the early church's experience that when we do this, God's kingdom grows. His grace expands. We are changed. Because we take our eyes off ourselves. I want to encourage you this morning. Make a decision about this. Make a commitment to this. Because the degree to which you will experience true community will only happen to the degree that you're willing to give yourself to it. Nobody can do it for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.